This is a man's world But we won't quit This is a man's world She who dares wins Hello and welcome to This is a Man's World, the She Who Dares Wins podcast. And today my guest is Nicole. And Nicole is a property developer from London. Hi Nicole, how Hello, are you? thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Good it's stuff. nice to be on this on this podcast finally. Yeah, well, I um I say this like every single podcast, but I came across you on Instagram. It seems like my go-to to find podcast guests. And um yeah, I was reading a little bit about your story and how you came into profit development and investment and basically you're, you're really honest as well. Um, and that's one of the things that I love. I um, work in a man's world of construction and I know property development is male dominated as well. Um, but yeah, I was just really intrigued by your story. So first up, if you can, can you just explain to our guests your journey into the property world? Yeah, it was. It started about ten years ago, really. I'd not had anything to do with property prior to that. I had obviously. It was a time when I think people were extra obsessed with their homes and property prices and what their properties were worth, that sort of thing. And so it was sort of around two thousand and uh, when was it about? seven, eight, nine, I started getting really interested in it. And I had bought a property in uh, Clerkenwell in central London and done a bit of work to that. And when we moved back from living in the US for two years, it had made more money than I had over the last few years. And as most properties in London did at that time. And so I did a bit more work to it, sold it and made quite a bit of money on it because again, that said that area of London hadn't been so favorable and then it, it became favorable. So I thought this is really great. Then I found this old vicarage in Hackney and thought this is the perfect opportunity to do another project. So bought it the day that I saw it and that became our family home and I spent a couple of years renovating that and just really enjoyed the process. And again, that property, we bought it before Hackney became really cool and made quite a lot of money on that in paper terms, obviously, because we've not sold that yet. So it just, it made me realize that there was something that I loved that combined my finance background because I had worked in financial services for the previous uh, 10 years. It also gave me a creative outlet and I love designing and uh, beautiful things. I loved fashion and uh, those sorts of things. And it just allowed me to channel that creativity into these homes. And I was so proud of the homes that we were building and I made every one of them something that I would want to live in. So that's really how I got started. It was just doing these, uh, what I was doing back then is converting what we now know as HMOs, I thought they were bedsits, into uh, luxury family homes in the Hackney and Islington area and just loved that process. So it was just one thing from another. So so jumping back slightly, before you jumped into it, did you have any prior experience? Like you said you worked in financial services. Was it literally a drop what you were doing and then just full hog straight into this new venture? No, not really. So I worked in I worked in financial services. I came over from Australia in 2000 and 
I'd actually become the youngest qualified uh, financial advisor in Australia. Uh, I became a chartered financial planner uh, before I'd even finished my degree. So I couldn't get the charter because I hadn't finished my degree yet. So I came over to the UK thinking, great, I'm going to be a financial advisor and do all these things and realized that my qualification was completely worthless over here. It was also (laughs) the time when the tech bubble burst. And so I got a, I I managed to secure a job in a, a bank. And every time I seemed to get a job, it was bought out by another bank and they'd make the whole team redundant. And I ended up working in gyms, picking up dirty towels off the floor for a few months, illegally, I might add, because I didn't have the right visa. (laughs) I'm a British citizen. (laughs) Um, So uh, that it was, it was, then I did get a really good job in finance and really enjoyed it at Capital, which was the largest fund manager in the world at that time. And my job, and I know it sounds quite, um, uh, the opposite of what I talk about doing or the, or the creativity, but my job was building spreadsheets and I loved that. <laughs> I love the technical <laughs> bit of sitting down in front of spreadsheets, but I decided to go and try entrepreneurialism and I, uh, I started a, a modeling agency for bodybuilders and fitness professionals and that went really well until a really unfortunate uh, incident happened with my business partner. Uh, unfortunately, he lost his life. And then I uh, decided not to do that anymore. It was too difficult. So I, I went into online fashion. And again, that was really hard. I did that for about four years. And this was pre-social media. And then I had a, and then we moved to the US. And it was very hard to run a business that was based in the UK while living in the US. And I had a baby and then came back to the UK, had another one. And it was between baby uh, two and three that I thought I need to find something. I can't go back into finance. I had worked at Goldman Sachs briefly in New York just before the markets crashed in 2008. Uh, but I, I knew that it was going to be incredibly difficult for me to go back into the banking industry uh, and get a job when there were so many incredibly qualified, intelligent people out there uh, with just looking for work at that time. So I thought, yeah, I've got to find something else. This banking's not for me. So that's when property came about. And it really was by accident. I didn't know that someone like me could work in property. I didn't know anything. I didn't know what a quantity surveyor was. I didn't know uh, how anything worked. All I knew is there's a project, you get a builder, and you do the work. I didn't even know how to get debt on anything like that. So I really was incredibly green like my smoothie. (laughs) (laughs) To be honest, I think sometimes it's the best way. I mean... I like yeah I've got a vested interest as well in property so not as obviously as extreme as you but um my father's in business and um I started out in business at the age of 21 in the construction world solely being me just self-employed um and then I had a little business for about two or three years with my brother where we sold uh, manufacturers and sold plumbing chemicals and all along this route he's always said to us because he's always invested in properties so he's always used his money and he's got a student properties and a few other houses and he's always said at at his point in time he was like there's no other way investment wise of making as much money as if you do invest in property however um he was like you've got to be careful because you invest in property the gains can be there but it's um well you know there could be the crash um you know you could get the wrong property you've got to make sure you can rent it out and there's all these things it's so complex and when I actually had an opportunity about um five years now to to buy my first second property because I don't have a pension so I was like right this is going to be my pension 
And um, I stripped it back to brick and built it. And, and everything you've said there really resonates with me. The whole, like, you get to start something from scratch. You get to put your print on it. And it almost, mm. I think, with me became like, this is my second home, even though it was going to be something that I rented out. Um, so I completely get that passion. But also, it was incredibly daunting. Like, there's the second mortgage, there's the finance in it. And I'm only, you know, I'm on a small scale. I'm doing this for long-term investment. So... But but then I guess you carried on and you did yours as a fully fledged business, which means investment and high risk. So how did that come about? And then I, I noticed I read that you funded via um, was it by Kickstarter or um, Crowd, uh, simple crowdfunding? Yeah, and I was I, I, I'm so yeah. intrigued by that because I just, it would just be like the traditional if someone was out there say now they've got a little pot of money or they wanted to do this. I imagine them being so overwhelmed thinking, oh, you've got to go to the bank, the risks. Tell, talk me through that. Talk me through how that process started of you being able to then buy your properties. Yeah, so it's kind of been a double-edged sword for for me personally, the crowdfunding. And, so I will, and I'll take you very uh, honestly through what happened and uh, how it can be very good, but it also can be, as I said, that double-edged sword. So... Back in 2016, we were, my business partner at the time and I were doing incredibly, uh, we thought, well, we were purchasing properties around the Hackney market. Um, sorry, that was my dog coming down to say hello. Uh, <laughs> purchasing properties around Hackney and a couple in West London, all sorts of properties. We were buying single units in Kensington, 47, a development scheme for 47 units in Luton. Uh, we've got multiple properties with multiple units across the Hackney, Hoxton area. And what we were finding is that so many deals were coming and landing with us because the state agents knew that we would act. So they would bring these to us before, we, before they'd even go to market. And we were buying them and starting the process. But what we found is I'd go and talk at events and people would say, how can I get involved? I want to get involved in this. Can I invest? And I wanted to take their investment, but also I was very wary about breaking the legislation, the, the crowd investment legislation and or collective investment scheme legislation. So I had to be very careful about um, how I did that. And I was introduced by our broker to a Tuxhara and Davin at Simple Crowdfunding. And they told me how they had, uh, via crowdfunding, they had this FCA compliant uh, way of collecting investments. And I thought this is just a much better idea than taking... I did not want to take... 5,000 from this person and 100,000 yeah. from this person. I just wanted it to be all very compliantly done. And so we uh, we became victims of our own success, really, because the first one we raised, uh, I'm trying to remember now the figures, it was a long time ago. Uh, anyway, we raised, we raised money. We raised 1.4 million right. on the first one. I knew that I had 1.2 of that 1.4. So it really was just that 200,000 gap that I had to fill. We raised it within a few days and that project went live. We then, uh, we then did it again and again and again. In the end, we did it six times and raised over, uh, I think, 6.43 million in total wow. across these projects. Now, 
it hasn't all gone to plan. I think we, there were a number of things that happened. That really was the peak of the market. So our timing could not have been worse. The the uh, Brexit was then announced. Uh, we had the stamp duty changes announced, and the the government was very clear in its intention of they didn't want the smaller operators in there, the smaller developers, all the smaller. Uh, landlords they, they, they've been very clear on that they wanted that market to be filled perhaps rightly so given some of the, the landlords that are out there but they wanted that to be uh, professional providers in place so that meant that uh, we had all these headwinds come our way and I uh, my role within this uh, partnership was to uh, raise the funds find the projects and then hand over to the main contractor and then to deal with the sales. And of course, the whole sales market uh, fell out of out of bed really here in the UK and globally. So, but then the bigger issue was our, the main contractor just took on far more than they had the capacity to do. Mm-hmm. And that has meant huge delays. And yeah, there are delays across every single project. We've sold out of some now, thankfully, uh, but the, the time delays have just been incredible and that's completely eaten into into profit margins. Uh, it's it's meant we've got very, very uh, disappointed is probably not strong enough word for some of them, but some of the investors are really not happy. Right. And I think that crowdfunding works very well when you have a, quite a simple, uh, straightforward vanilla project and you raise the funds you can do the work and then you can deliver on the end result. However, as you will know from experience, it very, very rarely goes to plan like that. So it's about having the uh, in-house governance, the contracts, the, uh, the the backstops in place, I think, to ensure that when you do go to the crowd to raise funds, these processes are in place and they do follow these and whoever is involved within that follows the process. So it's, it's, it's an interesting one and one that um, uh, probably will haunt me forever, this, uh, this crowdfunding. And yet I can see that it has a place as well with, with the banks now and uh, lenders. And there is a lot of money out there in the market as well who uh, they're wanting returns because returns are very low. Especially mm-hmm. now, we've got what 0.1% uh, yeah. base rate. So returns are low. So if anyone can get even six, seven, ten percent, uh, it's it's quite a decent return now. Yeah, definitely. And what's interesting is where your world meets my world: construction and contractors. Like you know, it's not. I've never been on a project that um, that even I project managed. That's that saying something that's actually gone to plan. And it, it, construction is just. It's crazy. Um, and the way yeah. that when I started moving into project management, I was doing retail units. And I realized it doesn't matter how much you've got a timeline um, of, of a project from start to end. Nothing goes to plan. The budget never stays. And even even if a client, mm-hmm. we had quite a really big client that I work for that um, own a lot of petrol stations up and down the UK. And even though the client puts in stipulations of, you know, you've got to reach it by this point in time. Um, otherwise you're going to get stung with fees or we're just not basically paying anymore. It never happens because there's all these little no. caveats in construction where it's like, oh, you know, we lost time on this and this wasn't our fault. That's right. And then, and then it becomes a fighting game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And then it comes down to the arbitration process, which, um, 
yeah, is it is another whole area that's uh, that's interesting <laughs> to say the least. But I know that from talking to Tal Orley of uh, of Cogress, which is another a kind of crowdfunding type of uh, company in the property area, they've funded over one. I think it's close to one and a half billion GDP in projects and it that spread across well over 50 and he said not a single one of those projects has been on time and on budget and that's that's a pretty decent sample size (laughs) yeah and and how do you so do you do are you hands-on with contractors or I'm guessing at the point in time where you had a few properties you were you were hands-on with traders and how was that experience for you was that a new field a new um you know because everyone's got different personalities in the field of construction how, mm-hmm. how was that kind of introduction into the trades world um how did you cope with that did you enjoy it or did you find challenges I really loved it at first and that's what I've as I look now at where I am and what I'm going to do over the coming years I look back at what I really enjoyed and right in the beginning, I loved dealing with my building team and I had one builder who I dealt with for the first few years and he would do all my projects and uh, he would help project manage them. He would just, we had a really good relationship and I think unfortunately things can sour when it comes to money. People can sometimes, if you, are too trusting you can uh you can be taken advantage of and i think that probably happened towards the end of the relationship that uh, he saw that i as i as my number of projects were uh were increasing and my attention to detail on each of the individual projects was uh was uh, distracted throughout these projects he mm-hmm. could he was taking shortcuts and probably taking liberties and taking a bit too much money. So unfortunately that relationship didn't end after about, sorry, it didn't continue after about five years, which was a shame because I had really enjoyed that, which takes me to the point about just having, if you've got ironclad processes in place that you never deviate from them, no matter how many years you've worked with someone, I think that can eliminate a lot of these sorts of issues because so many people you, you talk to say, yeah, I fell out with my builder because they did this or I fell out with this person because of this. But one clear way is just to have this process. And if that process is in place and if your box ticking every single week, no matter what, there is no room then for anyone to take advantage of anyone because that process is in place and it's very transparent from the outset. So, yeah, very long-winded answer, but I loved dealing with them in, in the beginning. I knew nothing. And they would say, yeah, well, this joist is... Uh, rotten out and the parallel, the, the, the supporting uh, frame. And I'd just go, oh, my goodness, what does this mean? And then I'd go <laughs> home and I'd Google it and go, right, I know what they mean now. And I, I'd go back to site and look and say, yeah, I can see that that choice there is rotten out and the supporting frame needs to be reinforced and I'd, I'd understand. And I loved that because they would, I'd come to site and I'd often have a, a baby, <laughs> carrying a baby on site and I'd be going, oh, no, this is terrible. No PPE, and uh, and I just go, oh, here's this girl again, <laughs> thinking that she knows things. And so I loved it when I did know things that they'd talk to me and I go, well, actually, I think that maybe we should consider doing it this way or this way. And they'd go, oh, light bulb, she knows something. So I love that. Yeah, <laughs> there's nothing better than that experience. <laughs>
Hi everyone, I hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. This is just a little interruption. I want to say thank you so much for tuning in and supporting the podcast. And if you've got time, please head over to www.shewhodareswins.com. On there, you'll find lots of information about our guests, including the show notes, and also a lot of content that I've produced for YouTube, which hopefully can help either inspire or support you on your journey. Um, So that's www.shewhodareswins.com. There's also a small range of merchandise on there, which if purchased helps to prop up this podcast and keep us inspiring and supporting women across the nation. So thank you so much. And let's get back to this great podcast. Over the years or even now, like how do we kind of fit in terms of female representation like I, I always and maybe this is just an outside invitation that's wrong but I always feel like property development and anything in that field is male dominated mainly because I think you have to have a lot of balls and I don't mean that as in like you know real balls I mean just you, you mm-hmm. have to you have to be able to put yourself out there and take risks and um, is that changing or do you still think that the industry is very much male dominated? Uh, it's definitely, if you go to MIPM, uh, you will see that you'll just see how male the industry is. And I didn't really appreciate how uh, male, white male the industry was until I went to MIPM with my with three of my female team members and we just were there and <laughs> we were all single at the time just went, oh my goodness, look at all these men. <laughs> anyway, that was really interesting. But we, I've never felt, uh, I've never felt, no, there, there are a couple of occasions where I have felt that it's definitely a man's world um, and I can share those stories. But I, there are so many more women in the industry now, uh, which is fantastic. And definitely when I first started 10 years ago and I'd go to all these networking meetings, it would just be a room of men with maybe a handful of, not even a handful, just a a couple of women there. And now you go to these meetings and sometimes it's 50-50. I know uh, Alex Harrington Griffin held an event uh, probably two years ago now, coming up to two years, no, a year ago. And I would say the audience was nearly half women which is fantastic. And some of the, the women leading, you look at um, Amanda Clark, at, um, I think she's at JLL, and uh, Alex um, Note at Places for People. These are very, they're, they're powerful women. They're really right. intelligent. They're leading their teams. And they're just, that's just two that have sprung to mind. So there are a lot of women in this industry at, um, at the higher levels as well as, uh, on on construction sites as well. There's they're putting in women's loos now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, it's like one in a million, but you get there and it's yeah. like the golden. <laughs> yeah, we have our loo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so and uh, people like Katie Smith, the bricklayer, she's yeah, doing okay, incredible yeah. things for women. Yeah, to yeah. to get on the tools as well. Uh, yeah, it, it's happening. It's happening really slowly. I don't think it's an industry that automatically attracts women. I think if you said to most women, you're going to work really hard, bent over, your hands are going to get all cracked and sore and mm-hmm. you're going to get really muddy and dirty, most women would go, not yeah. really. <laughs> Even if I said that to my kids, my, my I've got two boys and a girl, if I said that to my boys, they'd go, no, nah. <laughs> not for me. <laughs> so I think it does attract a certain 
person. But on the development side, there are a lot more women coming through. But it's interesting what you say about the risk side. And if you look at any position that requires a certain amount of risk taking, there are generally not many women in there. You look yeah. at in banking as well and at the top levels of banking, there are not many women there. I think when my uh, when we were at, Mo- at Merrill Lynch many, many years ago, this is nearly 20 years ago, there were a team of maybe 100 analysts working in the equity an- an analysis team, and I think there were two women in all wow. of that. When I moved to uh, Capital, there were a lot more women at Goldman Sachs. There were a couple of women in management Interestingly, they all had stay, they had stay-at-home husbands, which I thought was interesting. There was they were very powerful women who worked incredibly long hours, and uh, that seemed to work for them. But yeah, it's it's just about attracting women into this and showing women that it can be a viable um, opportunity and career option. Um, we only know about what we know about. And when I was young, I knew yeah. about HR, marketing, law nursing teaching <laughs> not yeah, much else yeah. around that yeah well everyone I speak to is kind of unless they've got a parent that's in um a certain field of construction every woman that I've spoken to is like you know I went to this um to this open day and then I just fell into it I mean even I fell into I fell into construction because I needed a job and someone suggested to me I went and that was the end of it like that was that was 15 years ago and it was yeah, it was by chance. And not many um, girls that I speak to that say, oh, yeah, no, since a little girl, I've wanted to do X, Y, or Z. Um, so I think that's what, that's nicely what brings me on to my next question, which is you share everything on Instagram and social media. And that is so important during this day. Like everyone that I chat to is through Instagram because I'm reading their stories and I'm intrigued and inspired. And um, yeah, that, what what made you um, start up the socials and, um, and how do you think that world is going to help create, well, just basically create awareness for your industry and get more women in there and more people inspired to do it? Yeah, well, some might argue that my uh, socials are not very property related anymore. <laughs> so people go, "You're in property." <laughs> so I think mine might have probably come a bit more, uh, become more lifestyle. Uh, so I think some people do an excellent job. One another person that springs to mind is Michelle Lowe of Red Shell Consulting. She's a quantity surveyor. She's stunningly beautiful, incredibly intelligent, and she really knows her stuff. She works on sites and has done. And she grew up wanting to be a a quantity surveyor, which I think is fantastic. And she just went and she got her qualification. And so now whenever any women come to me and they're in their 20s or younger and say, I really want to get started, what should I do? I say, go and get your qualification. Go and do become a QS or just go through that whole um, RIBA process. So I, I think that there are many other women who are doing a much better job than I am of flying a flag for property. Uh, mine, mine is more lifestyle. But the reason that I started doing the socials is I was speaking at all these various events and a lady came up to me once and just said, you really should write a book because your story is interesting. And I said, okay, yeah, fine, I will. And I had some downtime that Christmas. So that was sort of early in the year around April, May. Over the summer, I remember sitting with my children. I'd gone on holidays, just me and my three kids, and I was sitting by the pool watching them, and I thought, 
maybe there is something in this book thing. So I rang my friend, uh, James, who is a writer, and said, how do you write a book? And he said, okay, well, what you need to do is you divide it into 10 chapters. You have your intro, your conclusion, and then inside you have individual stories that, are, that build up tension. I went, okay. So all I had to do was figure out these 10 topics that I wanted to cover. So I did that and then put it away. And over Christmas that year, so that was 2015, 16, I found myself with uh, spare time. I would ski in the morning and then I'd come back to our house and uh, have no children. I thought this is the perfect time to write the book. So I wrote the book. But while I was doing that, I thought I need someone other than my mum to buy and read this book. <laughs> how, how can I do that? And I thought, well, the best way is just to really focus on my social media and grow that. Uh, grow my following. And at the time, I had roughly 500 followers on uh, Twitter, link, uh, LinkedIn, probably, I can't remember LinkedIn actually, but definitely Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I had a roughly 500 followers. So I thought I'm going to pick a platform each uh, month and I'm just going to focus solely on that platform. So I picked Twitter first and grew that up. And I realized it was quite easy to grow a Twitter following. And uh, I can't bear Twitter now, but at the time that was my platform that I most enjoyed. Then I moved to Facebook and I grew that. Uh, and then I did LinkedIn. And last of all, it was Instagram, and which is interesting because I've now got my largest following on there. But I quickly realized that if we put a bit of a focus on great imagery and weaving in stories to our, our posts, we could really build this and build the following and raise awareness for what we were doing. And at the time, we were raising funds as well for various crowdfunding projects. So, yeah, it was just a really fun thing to do. And I had uh, Marina uh, Conway Gordon working with me at the time. She'd been working, she worked with me for a few years and she had a great eye for this. And it was, and we together worked out how we were going to do it. And then later, Paula um, Krodschuk came and worked with me. Again, she was amazing. She started off um, not uh, not knowing anything really and she just had an incredible eye. She's a proper artist. And she, again, helped build this following. And, yeah, it's it's been interesting. It's it, like with anything, it's that double-edged sword because when things are going well, everyone's all excited and wants to be part yeah. of it. When things are not going well, which I've been very open and honest about, people are, ooh, <laughs> don't really know how to interact with this. And, and that's been very, very interesting because I think with socials, and I've actually written a book about social media, which I might publish this year. We'll see. Um, it's it does tend to highlight or exacerbate the ups and downs. And there are a lot of people who uh, want, who you think are your friends. And when, sorry, Paul's just walking through, oh, walking through the hallway. Um, Hi. <laughs> you're now on my podcast. Um, yeah. So, and it's, you, there's a lot of people that you feel are your friends. And then when, uh, but then you realize that they're actually not your, sorry, they're not your friend. These are people that you just know <laughs> through your social media. They are not your friends. Yeah. Uh, so that's a really interesting thing to, to realize. But then there are some people who are just so genuine. And even though you've never met them, they are your friends. <laughs> so that's really, it's quite a curious thing that I've had to uh, grapple with and, and mull over. But um, yes, yeah, I think that social media, there is no way that's more powerful to build a personal brand. 
mm-hmm. than your social media. And the opportunities that have arisen from that and from writing my first book. Uh, I'm, right now, I'm supposed to be in Dubai speaking at the PropTech uh, and build built environments uh, conference out there. Uh, then in that's now been postponed until September, and then. In October, I'm supposed to be in Toronto speaking at an event. Um, I've got other things that I do here in the UK. Uh, in May, well, I'm supposed to be speaking at another Modern Woman event. So all these things come about because of the social media and people want to be part of the group <clears throat> Excuse me, and want to leverage off your, uh, your reach. And it's great when you can do really good things for people as well. Yeah. Excuse me. No, I think that's right. And I think it's nice that you've, you've talked about the, the highs and lows because – same with me started sharing my story and and I actually love the medium of video and I was vlogging on on construction sites um putting out YouTube videos and I never ventured on LinkedIn or anything and I was I was paranoid at keeping these videos I knew they were doing the greater good because I was getting contacted by lots of girls all over the world saying you know I'd love to get into engineering ask me lots of questions so I knew that I love doing it and I've always loved, I've got a a background in filmmaking, so I loved making videos, but I was paranoid that if anyone um, got hold of these videos that I worked with, A, they didn't know I was filming on site, I never actually filmed anyone, but um, still, they'd be like, well, hold on a minute, you know, so I kept that secret for so long, and the the point in which it kind of broke for me was when a picture of me pregnant on a building site and actually wrote across my stomach, building two things at once, went viral, went into the Daily Mail, the Mirror, and then that was it. From then, like now I get public speaking events, um, get invited to lots of things, and, and it's great. And, and the one thing that I say to anyone out there now that's doing a trade and is sharing their story but they're young is you've got to be honest because if you're not honest, people are going to see through it. So you've got to, you know, it's okay if you want to share the selfies of you looking great, whatever. But for me, I think that's the kind of thing that's resonated with people is the brutal honesty of what it's like on construction. Because the last thing that I want to do, and and this is why yours is so great as well, is is say to someone, construction's amazing, you know, it's sunny outside, you get to work with all these nice people, no one wolf whistles at you, no one does this, no one's, it's like, because it's not, it's not good for the next generation coming in. Instead, I'm kind of like, like, you said the double-edged sword of it's great and we need to get more women in but xyz is possibly going to happen um and so that's why yeah it accounts like yours are so good and that's the one bit of advice that i do give to anyone starting up social media is like if you can and you feel like you want to because like, it's really difficult mentally for some people as well and some people it's it's it not the right thing to do yeah like you're gonna get attacked like i mean even if i tell my, i tell my husband like every time i get a um a message on YouTube it's always YouTube and it's like show me your boobs or um will you marry me or I'm just like <laughs> you've got to be able to yeah. deal with the crap that comes with it and, oh, and people want to yeah. pull you down like people that you know when you get a certain amount of success people and also people can take advantage and that's the one thing that I worry about some of these girls that are now uh, on social media I'm like yes you're doing it it's great because we're encouraging the next generation but be careful because brands are going to start to Mm. take advantage of you people are going to ask you to go to events and not pay you and and you just really got to figure out what your core beliefs are and what you stand for um is is there any advice you have uh, to anyone else out there that's kind of starting this now yeah, I think that it's so hard and I, I've i had to grow really thick skin and I don't naturally have a thick skin. I'm incredibly sensitive and I do 
I take things to heart and even the little things will just play on my mind. And it's that whole thing where you get a hundred positive comments and that one negative one just plays on your mind indefinitely. So that's, um, that's really hard. And I wonder, I'm a 41 year old mother with, uh, with all these years of experience behind me. And I wonder how the younger people deal with it. So just, I was talking about this just recently with my partner's 18 year old son and Hey, I worry for them because yeah. he's he got he had his first hater on Instagram, and we were talking about how he deals with it and how he um, processes that, what he does with them, whether he should just block them. Because my pro, my my thing now is, you know, that whole Maria Kondo thing where you throw away anything that doesn't give you joy, yeah. you remove it from your house. I've developed that recently with my Instagram because there are people on my feed who I know and who are friends, but they weren't bringing me joy. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to see them. And I don't want them seeing other people. I don't want them seeing my feed either. I want my feed to be perfectly curated for what I want to see. And that yeah. might be really selfish. It may not be in the spirit of social media. But for me, I want my feed to to bring me joy. Yeah. And so I blocked a whole lot of people. I unfollowed a whole lot of people. Others I muted. Uh, so I wouldn't see their feed. And now my feed brings me joy. It, and I, I, my advice to people is block, just block. And I know that might be contrary, but there was a, there was a, a, a whole movement, a hashtag block the trolls on Twitter recently after some really brutal attacks on some journalists uh, following the whole Me Too movement. And that this whole block the trolls thing came about. And we're sometimes reluctant to block people because we feel that that's giving in to them or uh, somehow admitting that we're weak or allowing them to think they've got the better of us. But if you block, you don't have to deal with it. You don't yeah. even know. So, And it's not that we should never take on negativity. We should. But there's there's constructive criticism. If you said to me, hey, Nicole, I really don't think that you should have put that post out there because I feel that it's saying X, Y, and Z, I'd say, okay, Michelle, thanks for bringing that to my attention. I'll consider it. I'll take that as, I'll take your advice on board and I'll do something. But for someone just to be really venomous and say, just say nasty things for the sake of it, you don't need that in your life. And you don't need people who are perhaps um, jealous or not jealous is too strong a word, but just a little envious of the hard work that you've put in to build what you have. Um, and my my eight-year-old daughter now is, um, she's staying with her father at the moment. She'll be back tonight. But she's wanting to start a podcast and a blog. And she started yesterday. And I am petrified for her <laughs> to think, yeah. how's my sensitive little 18-year-old, which is a very mature 18-year-old, eight-year-old, not 18-year-old, eight-year-old, <laughs> how's she going to deal with this? And the yeah. lessons that I will have to try to uh, impart to her is that, people are going to be negative they're going to make fun of you block them move on mm-hmm. and have this beautiful nurturing environment around you that makes you happy rather than um allowing yourself to be attacked by people who don't even know you and don't matter yeah. and it's it's a life skill that parents didn't i mean i've you know i've only got a two-year-old and and one cooking at the moment but my concern is the same it's like in in 10 years 20 years time like it's a life skill that our parents never had to give us. And, and nice. it's something, you know, I don't know how far this is going to go. Um, but it, it, yeah, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? It's, it can, it can bring you so much, 
but it can also if you if you don't know how to control it or um, control emotions or even be allowed to <clears throat> yeah understand the process then it's going to be really difficult so yeah there's some good advice there you should definitely get publishing on that social media book because um, I think a lot of people would be be interested in that. Yeah, I wrote it a year and a half ago. No, I wrote it two years ago. And then Gary Vaynerchuk's book on social media came out and I just went, oh, great. <laughs> I can't publish mine now. And mine was ready to go. And then uh, he just announced, I've got this new book coming out and no one really knew what it was about. And then it hit and I downloaded it instantly and just went, no, no. it's my book. <laughs> so now I'm going to do it a bit differently because I think the world's a much different place, a, a very different place to, to what it was two years ago and especially with being have, setting the right tone in uh, during unprecedented events like now I think is incredibly important. So yeah. yeah, I think that it needs a revision and a publish suit. <laughs> <laughs> Damn Gary V and his billions of followers. <laughs> I yeah, am a exactly. fan, so yeah, yeah, no, it's crazy. <laughs> All right, this has been absolutely awesome. You shared an incredible story. So many women are going to be inspired by this. I want to thank you so much for your time. But just to close off, one final question: um, If you're sat now in front of a group of women um, or men, doesn't matter, um, and they want to go into your field, but they're just not sure they have the skills. What, what would you say to them? Go and get them. So go and uh, get a, a, a qualification from RIBA. Uh, they offer some incredible qualifications. You don't even need to have a degree. You don't even need to have uh, any experience. You can contact people and see if you can shadow them, but I get so many requests, I'm never going to take them. But it's just... Try to get some experience. Go to some of the large house builders when you can, uh, when the world opens up again, and see if they've got any entry-level positions. Uh, and then just right now, read as much as you can. There are some excellent YouTube uh, channels out there as well of people who are doing great things, such as yourself. Go and just really research and go into this completely. This period of time that we've been given well, it's it's the perfect opportunity to really navel gaze and work mm -hmm. out what we want to do with our lives and with ourselves and just get some skills get some knowledge during this time and see if that's an area you do want to go into but read don't read or listen to people who don't give you the bad as well as the good the people who are just saying this is all fantastic you're going to make huge amounts of money they're lying yeah <laughs> <laughs> the stress that comes with it amazing well thank you so much for giving me your time this morning it's been incredible and for supporting she who dares wins because everyone that does all yeah all that revenue goes straight back into podcasts and videos and t-shirt looks amazing yeah so, yeah and i'd incredible. like to say i bought this and yes it was, it was supposed to be a surprise for you this is not a gift i bought this because <laughs> i did want to do i wanted to support you and it's, it's awesome i have to say this is a really nice quality t-shirt i only unpacked yeah. it this morning to put it on for this and I thought I am going to wear this and even I walked out and my partner went nice t-shirt yeah. like, I know <laughs> so yeah really great match thank you Michelle <laughs> no no worries yeah I went I like fashion is is not fashion I guess I just wanted to create a little brand that was it was more than a brand a community and my husband is pulling his hair out because I had that many t-shirt samples he was like this is ridiculous um it took me over 18 months to get like and he's like why do you need an organic and vegan t-shirt that's high quality I'm like I don't know I just want the best um so yeah and it really 
really, it took me so long to come up with everything. So I really appreciate it when anyone supports it. Um, it's a little passion side project of mine and um, hopefully extends out in the future. So yeah, I really do appreciate that. And yeah, like I said, thank you so much for your time. You're doing incredible things. I will share all of your social links and everything down in the show notes. And I will get back to you when uh, this is all ready to go out and you can have a listen. But yeah, thank you so much for your time. Keep doing what you're doing and keep inspiring um, the next generation. Thank you. You too. No worries. Cheers, Nicole. Have a great day. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning into the podcast this week. It gives me no greater pleasure than to share these ladies' inspiring stories with you all. If you wanted to and can afford to support this podcast, you can do so for less than the price of a coffee. What? Yeah, I know. That cheaply. On our Patreon account. Link given in the show notes. As well as supporting the podcast, you can also get exclusive content from me, including videos, blog updates, exclusive discounts for the She Who Dares Win shop, and so much more. But as always, just having you here listening in gives me the greatest pleasure of all. Um, Don't forget, you can also leave me a voice message and I will get back to you right through the podcast. If you have a spare minute and you can review the podcast, I will be entirely grateful too. I wish you all a very good day and I hope to see you all soon. Bye.